My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. We talk a lot about empowerment around here. Have you ever thought about what that word actually means? Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, where good girls go for sexual empowerment. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and my trusty pal Webster here defines empowerment as gaining strength and confidence, especially in claiming control of one's life and rights. I love the word, as you probably know, (laughs) because it really suits sex-positive work just so perfectly. And in a world full of taboos and harmful myths and judgments about sexuality, especially for women and anyone who identifies as, you know, homosexual, bisexual, transgender, transsexual, it's up to each one of us to embrace our own sexuality and set positive examples for others so that they can do the same. I personally believe that celebrating our sexuality plays a huge role in all of this, but it also requires exploring some serious, even devastating issues. We can't have sexual or any kind of empowerment in our lives if we turn a blind eye to issues like hate crime. So while this topic may not seem girl boner-esque on the surface, it really is. And here at a Girl Boner Central, we stand for empowerment, which requires respecting not only sexual rights, but human rights. So get this. I was reading some uh, studies and statistics on hate crime. And sexual orientation and race are among the top two uh, motivators for hate crime in the U.S., according to uh, the Human Rights Campaign Foundation. And I mean like significantly high. Um, sexual orientation accounts for about 17% of reported cases, and that was in 2007, so it's probably higher because it's been on the increase. And race accounts for about 51%, and again, that's probably also higher and on the increase. Uh, we don't have numbers for reported cases to the FBI about um, gender identity issues. So that's another big one. Today, you'll hear from two remarkable individuals who have dedicated their skills and energy to start changing all of that in different but equally valuable ways. Our first guest, celebrity dentist Dr. Nicholas Toscaro, offered porn star Christy Mack full dental reconstruction upon reading about her hospitalization from an attack uh, from her boyfriend, War Machine, which you may have heard about. It was all over the news. It's still been on the the news as she's been recovering. To hear just how important Dr. Toscano's work is, I want you all to listen to this news clip. It features Christy Mack's court hearing uh, in which she discusses being attacked. And just a forewarning to sensitive ears, it may be a bit difficult to listen to. Coppenhaver faces charges of attempted murder for the alleged August 8th beatdown that left Mac with a broken nose, several missing and broken teeth, a shattered eye socket, and a lacerated liver. Throughout the entire thing, he had a knife. Um, it was one of my kitchen steak knives. And um, he cut my hair off with She says she's only alive because she managed to escape and run to a neighbor's house while Coppenhaver went to get another knife. 
How sad was that? Um, it's incredibly powerful. I, like I said, I'm happy to report that I've um, been reading about um, Christy Mack's recovery, and she's making um, her way back with great strength and courage, and feeling better all the time. She still has surgeries um, that need to need to happen, but thankfully she was okay. Much thanks to um, today's first guest. But T- Dr. Toscano also gives dentistry a whole new fun and fabulous meaning, so we're not going to be all serious, um, bringing heart and humor to all that he does. He's going to also share with us some ways to keep that sexy mouth of yours healthy and vibrant. Dr. Nicholas Toscano, who has treated likes of uh, President Bill's Presidents Bill Clinton and George W. Bush, um, Bravo TV New York houses Sonia Morgan, and a long list of adult entertainers and penthouse pets, including Tara Patrick, Lexi Love, Brittany Andrews, Krista Ain, and Ryan Keeley. He's offered pro bono work not only for Christy Mack, which I mentioned, but victims of hate crimes, most recently to celebrity makeup artist Charles Edwards, who required full dental reconstruction after a brutal gay bashing. Thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Toscano. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on your show. Oh, sure thing. I'm, it's my pleasure. I've been uh, reading about uh, Christy Mack and hearing so much about her story, and it's, it's quite sad, although I hear she's, she's doing better. What inspired you to uh, offer her such wonderful support? Well, you know, unfortunately, Christy has become the, you know, the poster uh, child for, uh, you know, women's abuse across the nation. And, uh, you know, when when the story broke, I kind of felt compelled to kind of step up and, um, and you know, offer to fix her smile. Um, as you said at the beginning of your show, you know, I treat a number of patients in the adult industry, and I actually was getting texts right on the onset as the story broke that, you know, asking if I would uh, help her from some of my patients out in out in California. And of course I kinda of was the first doctor to kinda of step up and and offer my services for her uh pro bono. Um I just saw her for the for the first time uh last Thursday. And uh you know, it's even more striking when you when you see her the first time uh in the chair because she is uh literally, you know, a hundred pounds soaking wet and she's she's really a tiny girl. So when you think about this big MMA fighter who, you know, was beating on her and, and busted up her smile, um, it's it's really tragic what she went through. Absolutely. Absolutely. And she seems to have maintained a uh, wonderfully strong attitude. I'm sure she's she's gone through a lot emotionally as well. Um, but I respect her so much for for speaking up as she has been, and and all of the work that you're doing as well. What all did she actually need from a, a dental standpoint? Well, I can't really go into specifics because of patient patient privacy, but you know we're we're going to be reconstructing her entire smile and you know getting it back to the way it was before she had the trauma. Um, and you know she's really excited about what we're going to do for her. And when we're all done, her smile is going to be absolutely beautiful. That is so wonderful. I'm very happy to hear that and happy for her as well. Uh, you're known as a dentist to the stars. I'm curious, uh, is that different than treating, uh, you know, the non-celebrities or are there any different kinds of, uh, you know, challenges or, or work that, that you do? What is that like? 
<laughs> I mean, I I have a wide variety of patients in my office. You know, I have number of celebrities, number number of models, and you know, I'm the official dentist for one model management, as well as several other modeling agencies in in New York City. Um, but you know, I have regular patients. I have um, big Wall Street executives and CEOs to you know construction workers um, in and around uh, the city. You know, so um, you know I have I have both white collar and blue collar uh, patients, and you know I take care of them equally and treat them treat them all the same. You know, so uh, I would say sometimes treating the celebrities has its challenges, um, but they're no more demanding than than any other patient that I treat. Sure, that makes sense. It's always I live here in in Los Angeles, and uh, I always respect that when you when you really realize that you know celebrities are people too, and I suppose teeth are teeth, but theirs get seen more. So I could see there being uh, some, like you said, some challenges. But uh, we're all concerned about having a, a a good smile, especially now we're photographed so much, whether we're celebrities or not. Um, I actually had a, a friend of mine tell me that she was thinking of getting a, a tongue piercing, and. Um, I've heard that there are some actual um, risks to your your teeth and your your <laughs> dental health. Uh, could you talk about that a little bit? How do tongue piercings and cheek piercings affect our our dentistry? Well, they can be problematic. I mean, um, the most significant thing is, you know, tongue piercings can you know lead to abscesses that could that could travel to uh, the brain. That's the most debilitating thing that can occur. Um, on on a lesser effect, and, and what we're more concerned about on a daily basis is, you know, often they they cause recession. Uh, tongue piercing or uh, often will strip the gums behind uh, the lower uh, anterior teeth, uh, resulting in loss of gum and bone tissue until ultimately the teeth get loose and they fall out. Where the cheek piercing, what I would call like the Marilyn Monroe piercing. Um, Often what we see is on the back side of that piercing, there's often recession or stripped away gum tissue on the canine area or the first premolar area where that, where that backing is kind of sitting, um, which kind of, you know, creates, uh, problems long term, can result in loss of the tooth, uh, long term if it's not treated. So, you know, they can be problematic. Um, so my advice is, you know, uh, you don't get them at all, but if you are going to get them, try and do some type of flat backing that's not going to rub against the gum tissue and, and you know, do very, um, you know, frequent dental visits to make sure it's not causing a periodontal issue. Okay, interesting. And when you say frequent uh, visits, is it, you know, I used to hear once a year and then I've heard from uh, some dentists twice a year. What's the, kind of the ideal frequency for most people to come in just for like a regular Yeah, the gold, the gold standard now is twice a year. You should have at least, you know, two cleanings a year and, and at least x-rays once a year and a dental exam once a year. Um, if you have periodontal disease, you should have, you know, cleanings four times a year, um, you know, to prevent to build up a plaque and bacteria and ultimately bone loss and tooth loss. So, you know, the, the rule of thumb is for a normal, healthy patient twice a year. And for someone that has gum disease, you want to go at least four times a year. Okay. Very good. That's, you know, and I feel like it's... Uh become, even though there's still some fear people have about going to the dentist, I've actually found that 
my visits over the years have gotten uh, much more um, pleasant. I don't know if that's because of maturity or because uh, the uh, actual services and things like that um, have have improved. Well, I, think, I think people are becoming less and less fearful about going to the dentist. You know, I mean, it used to be people only went to the dentist when they had pain. Now, I mean, more and more patients, you know, seek out dentists on a regular basis, you know, uh, not only for just you know, keeping their dental health, but you know they're they're interested in aesthetics. You know, they want their smile bright. You know, they're they're the smile is what defines you. It's the first thing you see. You know, it's the first thing that people you know come in contact when they're going for a job interview. You know, it's it's what defines confidence. So, just like people go to plastic surgeons to you know enhance their breasts and their butts, or you know Botox and dermal fillers and all the other wonderful things that are out there. You know, a lot of people rushing to the dentist because they want their teeth, you know, uh, whiter and longer and they're going for gum lifts and veneers and bleaching because they, they are more educated, uh, you know, especially with the advent of the internet and they're seeking these things out. Um, I have a pretty uh, active Instagram uh, page, um, which is uh, at uh, Dr. Toscano DDS and uh, I probably get you know, at least 15, 20 new patients a month uh, just from Instagram, just from oh, some that's of the so interesting. that I put, put on my Instagram page about the different procedures that we offer in, in our office. Um, so, you know, people are, you know, very savvy when it comes to education and they're Googling things and they're picking up things on Instagram or mm-hmm. Twitter or all the different social medias and, and now they're seeking out different procedures to have have done to make their, their you know, not only their face look good, but their smiles look good and their teeth look good. Sure. That's so interesting. And I guess uh, it makes sense that the visual part of Instagram makes it very inviting for this kind of uh, work because you actually see, you know, the the work that is done, which is which is great. Um, I actually had a uh, listener who sent me a question because I mentioned that I was going to be interviewing you. And she is dating somebody who apparently she is crazy about, uh, but he has really very unpleasant breath. And she's it's one of those awkward situations. She's trying to figure out how to uh, approach it because, you know, it's a newer relationship. But from a <laughs> sure, dental standpoint, sure. is that something that, I don't know, I mean, what, what causes bad breath besides, like, eating gar- uh, garlic? You know, the, the simplest thing is not, you know, having regular cleaning. So, you know, bad breath can be caused by buildup of bacterial plaque and tartar on the teeth. And, and as you breathe and as the breath pass through the teeth, you know, you're picking up the smells of the tartar and the plaques that are on the teeth themselves. That's, that's the simplest explanation. So thereby going in for regular cleanings, you know, you could, you could reduce bad breath. Uh, periodontal disease can be another source of bad breath and, and once again that's caused by bacterial plaque in which which case you get inflammation of the gums uh, resulting in destruction of the attachment around the teeth which could also lead to malodor. Um, the tongue itself um, you know can can collect bacteria so you know I tell patients not only to brush their teeth twice a day and floss once a day but they should be brushing their their tongue as well, or using some of those tongue scrapers to remove deposits and bacteria that can build up on the tongue that can also be your source of bad breath. A tongue scraper? I've never even heard of that. What is that? Yeah, I mean, they, they sell them at most drugstores, and it's exactly uh, how it sounds is exactly what it is. I mean, it's basically a device that 
that you use to actually scrape the tongue and they're all removed um, bacteria that if you, if you look at your tongue closely there's all these little folds of skin that are in your in your tongue they're called the, the filiform papillae and bacteria can actually collect in those spaces within the tongue so what a tongue scraper will do it'll remove deposits and bacteria that, that get caught in between those little fibers of your tongue and uh, and can result in a bad odor. Interesting. That That's fascinating because I, and I'm actually interested also because I've tried brushing my tongue and it's sometimes ticklish. So that's a, <laughs> that might be a better, <laughs> a better solution. Um, uh, I might. I, I'm feeling a little tickle as well, especially if you get a sensitive tongue. Okay. So maybe just grinning and bearing it will be better, <laughs> a better it idea might. there. Um, we talk a lot about body image here and partly because, uh, my, uh, my own personal history with overcoming an eating disorder years ago. Um, and I know that my dentist back then told me that a lot of, uh, eating disorders are actually diagnosed or first noticed by the dentist. Could you just talk about that a little bit? What, how does that happen or, or why would that be yeah, the case? Yeah, we ca- I mean, we, we catch a lot of different diseases every year in the mouth. And, and you know, let's face it, an eating disorder is a disease, you know, no matter how you cut it. But, um, you know, often dentists will catch it because we will see um, the first signs of acid erosion on the teeth. Um, you know, often when people have eating disorders, they're forcing themselves to vomit, and when they vomit, they're bring, bringing up acids into the mouth, which actually can can melt or resorb the teeth. Um, so, you know, we we pick up early signs of that resorption, and you know, we're one of the uh, the first people to catch uh, patients with with eating disorders. That's so interesting. And, and then would you, do you tell them that at the, at the actual appointment that you see this damage or? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've actually, you know, when we're, um, you know, meeting with a patient, I'll actually bring up that, you know, I mean, we try to do it in a very comfortable way. I mean, usually what I would do is, you know, I, I ask them, do they have any stomach issues, uh, any signs of, you know, uh, do you have any gastric uh, reflux disease? Do you notice that you get indigestion after, after meals? And, you know, some of them deny a lot of stuff because they don't want to talk about it. Some of them are quite honest and they'll tell you that, you know, doc, I an eating disorder and, and, you know, I, I do, you know, vomit a lot and, and, you know, at that point, you know, we, we do our best to help them. Um, a lot of times, you know, uh, it's these same, as I told you, I treat a lot of models in my practice and it's some of these same, same patients that, that will have some of these eating disorders and a lot of these models want to have veneers or so cosmetic treatments done. And unfortunately, we can't do cosmetic treatments if they have an eating disorder because the, the constant vomiting will result in destruction of the veneers. So, you know, we kind of have to hold off on things until we get the eating disorder under control. So, you know, you, you work with the patient to you get them proper help. You work with their physician in order to get the eating disorders under control. And then you can go ahead and, and restore the damage that's been done. That's a, a good motivation, I bet, for some of them, at you know, at least to know that, well, if I am able to get help for this disorder, then, you know, one benefit could be that they could get those teeth that they always had, had wanted. So it's always nice to hear when there's uh, not only conversations that are so important, but uh, some kind of a, a reward, because it can be a dark place for sure. Sure. Uh, 
Yeah. What What about people who um, don't necessarily have a, a particular um, severe issue, but they're just coming in for regular checkups or or maybe they've skipped a few? What are some of the most common uh, issues that you see that maybe we could all take a, a step or two to uh, to prevent or, or help? Well, you know, as I said, periodontal disease is one of the most common things that we see in our office um, and across the nation. Um, one of the downsides of it is that it's painless. So a lot of patients often don't even know that they have it. And, uh, you know, if they're not going in for frequent checkups, um, they may come into the dental office and they may get some x-rays done and, and uh, they might see that they have, you know, 50 to 60% of their bone that has been resorbed around their teeth. Um, and, you know, it's irreversible in a lot of cases. And, and, and then we're, you know, playing catch-up. So, you know, that's one of the common things. And what's really the downside of periodontal disease now is, is, is it just doesn't affect the mouth. Um, you know, tooth loss is just one aspect of periodontal disease. We're now seeing connections with what goes on with the mouth affecting the, the body as a whole. So, you know, the, the periodontal disease is causing heart disease, stroke, arthrosclerosis, uh, all kinds of cardiovascular disease, preterm low birth weight babies. It's been implicated in diabetes. So, you know, what goes on in the mouth doesn't just affect the teeth anymore. It affects your overall health uh, in general. Um, there was a recent study in the cardiology journal where they looked at patients that had blockages in their carotid arteries. And when they went to the, uh, you know, the vascular surgeon to remove those blockages, Blockages, and then they took those blockages and they analyzed those blockages, and they found that 80%, 80% of the bacteria came from the mouth. So you know, it's not just important to go to the dentist anymore for your teeth; it's important for your overall health. Wonderful. That's fantastic advice, and I really am feeling the need to make sure that I am going in for my next appointment. I think of a little bit as you're going through all of that. It's amazing how time flies, and then you just sort of go, oh, my gosh, it's been, you know, longer than my six months. So <laughs> I really appreciate your, your uh, time with us and your insight. And if you would, please uh, um, send our, our very best um, to Christy Mack and, and let her know that we're cheering for her. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on the show. Wasn't he fabulous? You know, I actually really love, uh, well, love is a strong word, but I enjoy going to the dentist nowadays. <laughs> it does help that my dentist here in L.A. has a massage chairs and you get to watch TV and all that. But I do think it's an important thing. It's also a big uh, step for self-care, and it's a wonderful way to uh, prioritize our wellness and all of that is so correlated to how we feel about our entire bodies. You know, it's, it's valuing our health and, and who we are by taking care of, of our dental hygiene. So that's so important. To learn more about Dr. Toscano, visit ManhattanPeridontist.com or follow him on Twitter at DrToscanoDDS. I met our next guest at BlogHer this year where she shared her powerful post, 
America's Not Here for Us at the Voices of the Year Community Keynote. Adrian Nieves is a U.S. Air Force veteran, a writer, an artist, and a social good activist living with bipolar disorder. She writes about the intersections of life, art, motherhood, mental health, and race on her personal blog, which is wonderful. Uh, there is not a single print song she, she doesn't know, which I love. I'm from Minneapolis, which is Princeton. And she currently lives in Austin, Texas, with her husband and three boys. She's also been an outspoken activist for positive change amid the recent tragedies in which unarmed black men and boys, including Michael Brown and Eric Garner, were killed by white policemen. I'm so grateful for her advocacy and for her openness. Thank you so much for being here, Adrian. I so appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, August. I'm really um, happy to be here. Wonderful. I, one thing that has really stayed with me ever since your presentation at BlogHer uh, was the way that you described being the mother to black boys. And I think that it's very, you know, easy for uh, women with uh, with privilege, women, white women who are in areas where um, maybe they don't see the adversity or they've never experienced that to really understand how different it can be. Could you just share uh, what are what are some of the differences for you that you see uh, raising these beautiful black boys of yours? Uh, sure, definitely. Um, I think for me, something that became very clear after um, uh, Trayvon Martin's murder um, back in uh, a couple of years ago, and you know, especially after George Zimmerman's acquittal of that murder, it became very obvious to me that um, no matter what I did. Um, I could teach my son to to care and respect other people. I could, you know, express to him the importance of getting an education and working hard. I could, you know, teach him to um, respect authority and to respect the law and um, to respect other people. And it just wouldn't be enough. And, you know, growing up as a person of color, in this country, you know, that's something that our parents instilled into us. You know, you just, you just have to work hard. You know, you have to work harder than your white counterparts and your white friends, you know, to be taken seriously and to kind of try to have the same advantages that they do. Um, you know, so, you know, getting an education, getting a good job, following the rules, obeying the law, you know, were all things that were instilled in me growing up um, because, I'm a person of color and me being a mother and seeing what happened with um, Trayvon Martin, it just really hit me that it might not be enough for my son. It was enough for me so far to kind of keep me alive, but um, it might not be enough for, for my own sons. And, you know, um, like I spoke about in my piece, just um, hearing or in reading the different things that were going on online and what people have been saying about President Obama and, you know, Paula Deen's use of racial slurs and people excusing it. And, you know, my son at the time was learning about slavery and, you know, President Lincoln and the Civil War in class. And, you know, he just, he just had these questions for me and having to answer those questions and 
try to talk with him as openly and honestly as I could for his age, it was really difficult. And I think that's just the biggest difference is that these conversations aren't ones that white mothers have to have with their sons, especially so young. Like, I feel like I, I don't have the luxury of putting off these kinds of conversations. Because as we as we've seen, especially since Trayvon's um, death, that you know our boys are dying at a much earlier age, and no, and the people killing them are not being prosecuted. You know the people who are supposed to be protecting and serving us, you know they're also killing us and not being prosecuted as they should, or you know at least even just going to trial as they should. Sure. Um, and that's just really disheartening, especially as a mom, to to try to navigate. But at the same time, raise your kids to, you know, um, want to live up to their potential and to, you know, love who they are, you know, and to engage in a world that sees them as volatile. Absolutely. You know, and that doesn't recognize their humanity. It's really, it's really difficult. Sure. I, gosh, my heart just aches when I when I hear you speak about it. Uh, I can't I can't even imagine. Uh, and all these events recently must have just been extremely terrifying on a whole new level. I, as I understand it, the Black Lives Matter, the, the hashtag, the movement was created, I believe, in 2012 after um, Trayvon Martin was was killed. And then George Zimmerman was was acquitted, which was horrifying, just just horrifying. Uh, why do you feel that that um, movement, that hashtag, is so important? And kind of what is it? What is it doing? What What is the benefit? I think the biggest thing is that it showcases our humanity. You know, I think um, historically, um, you know, black and brown people in this country have not even been considered as human beings. You know, we are three-fifths of a person, historically. We are, um, you know, pro- we have been property. Um, our humanity has never been officially recognized and acknowledged and embraced and celebrated. And I think Black Lives Matter is just a way to combat that and to say, no, you know what, we are human. And we have just as much right to exist as everyone else. And not only that, but we have a right to express our humanity like everyone else. You know, especially for myself as a black woman, if I express any kind of outrage or, you know, anger or if I'm upset, you know, I get tone policed constantly, Mm. especially online. You know, um, by white people, especially saying that, you know, I shouldn't be so angry. I need to tone it down, you know, um, and we just, we just, we're just not allowed to be human and to express our humanity. So I think Black Lives Matter is kind of a rallying cry against that and and against racial injustice in the United States. Beautifully said. And I have to say, first of all, I wish I could apologize for all of those um, naysayers and, and people speaking out that way. But I also want to just thank you because you're uh, expressing your anger and your passionate, outspoken posts and words and, and honesty online have inspired me so much. I I have felt in recent years sort of this 
it's like I, I feel like I almost don't have the right to talk about racism because I am, you know, a white woman. And uh, right, right. I've I've been starting to see that. And I, and I remember, and actually, I think you were the one who pointed this out to somebody um, online, s- said something along the lines of, because I thought, well, I don't even know what to say. I'll say the wrong thing. And <laughs> I believe it was you who said, <laughs> you know, what, welcome to our world. And I thought, you know what, I got to say something. And then I started yes. to see this other hashtag come out where people with privilege were speaking out, but they were speaking out in a different way. They were looking at all they saw was the surface of this they see Black Lives Matter instead of looking to see why it's there, why it's important. And, you know, it's almost like they just instantly became defensive and said, wait a minute, if you're saying Black Lives Matter, then the rest of the lives don't matter. So then they started making all these memes about every life matters. And it's like, we know that. That's never been, I mean, that's never been any part of, of, of Black Lives Matter. But could you just explain why? You know, all lives matter just seems very um, defeating to me. What What's the problem with that or what's your take on it, I guess? I think, again, I think it just comes back to any time black people especially express themselves and uh, try to rally and to um, process as a community what we're experiencing, um, the dominant culture, um, white America, if you will, will somehow find a way to try to discredit and negate it. And for me, that's what All Lives Matter is. It's a, it's an attempt to kind of undermine and discredit um, the rally cry that we're currently having. And it's problematic because it takes the focus away from what the issue really is, which is you know, black men especially are 21 more times as likely to be arrested or killed by police than white men. And it's not addressing the fact that when white police officers either gun down or use excessive force on black bodies, they're not being prosecuted. A grand juries are saying, you know what, this doesn't even have to go to trial to at least hear both sides. Um, if you are saying all lives matter, you're basically saying that, that what we're experiencing and what we feel about it and the trauma that we're experiencing is, is nothing, mm. that it doesn't matter. Um, and it's, it's hurtful and it's, it's really sad. Um, because I feel like, you know, people will listen to others. Um, but when it comes to black men and women expressing their grief, expressing their desire for change, expressing their anger at injustice, um, especially the kind of injustice that we've been seeing in the legal system, especially these past few months, um, people will find a way to kind of cut it down and try to silence it. Which only affirms so the importance of it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really showing how vital that that all is. And uh, hopefully, I mean, I've seen some positive things uh, happening. And, and you hope that each time there's a tragedy, you really hope that the one silver lining that doesn't make up for any of it, but that one bright thing that could happen is this will be the thing that, you know, 
turns everything around or allows us to turn everything around. Um, What are you grateful for um, with all that's been happening as far as this activism? You know, growing up, I read um, uh, Rolling Thunder, Hear My Cry. And um, I remember reading that book and reading about the civil rights movement and some of the things that, that the characters were going through and feeling in my heart like I just I wanted to like raise my hand up in the air and be like yes mm-hmm. you know and kind of like I, <laughs> I always say I felt like an activist at a very young age um, because I read that book and because I learned a lot about the civil rights movement and um, our history in this country um, with slavery and the civil war and all of that and I kind of now feel like I get to take a, a part in history in the same way that those who came before us did, in standing up against injustice, in making our voices heard. You know, um, I've gone to two protests since Mike Brown's death. Um, I wanted to go to everyone that was in Austin, but unfortunately I could not. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, my husband asked me to stay home a couple of times just for safety reasons because he was concerned. Um, but the most recent protest, you know, I took, I took my oldest son with me. Um, and even to have him with me and to be able to explain to him, you know, that his life matters and to explain to him what a protest is and what the Constitution says about peaceful assembly. And, you know, that to tell him that he has a right to express himself and to gather with other people peacefully and say, hey, you know, my life is worth something. You know, that really touched me. Um, and especially because he was so excited about it. When we got there, he was holding up signs. He was chanting with others. He was high-fiving other kids who were there. And, you know, he marched with us. And we did a die-in, and he laid down with us. Uh Um, So I'm just, I'm really grateful for that. I'm grateful that my son um, had that experience. I'm grateful that I get to be a part of, you know, the conversation that is trying to move us forward and help us evolve um, in terms of um, racial justice. So I'm, I'm glad to see that there are some really difficult conversations being had. Um, on both a personal level with, you know, between people and their families and friends, but then also on a national level. And um, as tragic as it is and as troubling as it is, it's exposing something that needs exposing and kind of waking people up, people who think that we're a post-racial society, kind of waking them up out of that stupor to show them that, hey, no, we're not. We still have a lot of work to do, and this is, these are the next steps. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Beautiful. Well, gosh, well, thank you so much for, for joining me. And and if there's anything that I or, you know, this community can do uh, to, to support your, your work that you do, please let us know. 
Awesome. Thank you. Wasn't she fantastic? Uh, to learn more about Adrienne's work, you can visit her website, Butterfly Confessions. That's at butterfly-confessions.com. You can subscribe to her blog there. She also has a fabulous Etsy site where she sells her beautiful um, paintings. Uh, for more on Black Lives Matter, uh, you can go to blacklivesmatter.com, or you can search for the actual hashtag Black Lives Matter on social media. And if you or a loved one is being affected by domestic abuse, please visit the National Domestic Violence Hotline website. That's at thehotline.org. There is help out there no matter what you're going through. I hope you can find some support. And now for some advice from our resident intimacy expert, Wendy Sturgar of Good Clean Love. Listening is the most powerful form of patience we can show to someone we love. I know how easily I can take a small bit of what my friend might say and jump to a conclusion. Maybe I do know something, but my knowing is not worth nearly as much as my patience to listen and let her know it for herself. This recognition has taken a long time to understand that telling someone something that you know never really works. On the rare occasion that someone asks you why or how and is generally interested in your answer, you can tell them. But the most powerful learning always comes from within, when someone holds a space open for us to find the learning in ourselves. Years ago, I learned about the concept of generative listening, which is the art of developing deeper silences in yourself so you can slow your mind's hearing to your ear's natural speed and hear beneath the words to their meaning. I know from trying to communicate my own feelings that often the words I use don't describe what is happening nearly as accurately as my relationship to what is happening. Gaining the objectivity to really know the situation is part of what happens when someone takes the time to listen to us. This is where a lot of misunderstanding comes from. In our rush to reply, we often hear the words, but not the heart of what is being said. Slowing down and paying full attention to the people we love gives us the chance to heal and connect in a way that words often cannot. It takes practice and dedication, but bringing the power of loving silence into your relationships regularly, which gives the people you care about the chance to figure out what's inside of them, also adds elasticity and patience to your life together. Listening better is, for me, a lifelong pursuit. It is one of the most clearly understood ways that you can live into the words that are so easy to say, I love you. Getting better means that I have enough of myself to not need to be the front of the, in the front of the conversation. It means that I care enough to not tell someone what I know, but listen for what they are learning. It is one of the most advanced practices of love. Terrific thoughts as always. For more insight from Wendy, you can visit her blog, Making Love Sustainable. To nab some of Good Clean Love's fantastic organic intimacy products, including lube, body candles, and more, visit goodcleanlove.com. They are currently running some very sweet holiday specials. Speaking of which, you can also add some girl boner goodies to your holiday season. Visit my website, augustmclaughlin.com. Click on store where you can purchase positive affirmation sticky notes, unicorn meg that I'm kind of obsessed with, a Girl Boner Compact, um, natural lip lube, and more. There are many gifts for under $10. If you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating and review, and hop over to my website, augustmclaughlin.com, for show extras and a whole lot more. Thank you so much for listening, and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.